here is that question again. What is the hardest thing you've ever had to understand or try to explain? And you can't say the Trinity because I'm going to. Okay? Don't take my answer. What is the hardest thing you've ever had to try and understand or explain? I'm going to start us off. One of our online listeners, Jim, who is a teacher at a local high school, says it is terribly hard to explain to the kids why they need to participate and do work. <laughs> Brutal. Thank you. It's actually in person, too, online and in person. That's impressive. Okay, somebody else online happened to say that uh, understanding the binary system is just... I was part of that conversation as it was trying to be explained. Not good. Okay, I got a couple other online answers. What about you guys? What's the hardest thing you've ever had to explain or understand? I'm sorry. Bet? Death. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Terrible hard to, to understand that. Yeah. Somebody else? Geometry. <laughs> Geometry. Uh, I got someone who can help you with that, but doesn't make any sense to me either. All right, I heard another one. Who Jesus is. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. If you get that one figured out, can you let me know? <laughs> yeah, we'll co-teach. I'll pull up a second stool. Somebody else? The hardest thing you've had to understand. Michael? Where does the universe begin? Where does the universe begin? Page one. <laughs> Didn't help at all, did it? <laughs> Somebody else. I know you guys have been baffled before. Cancer. Hard to explain. Hard to understand that. Yeah. Somebody else online said, uh, teaching puberty to her son. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> Anybody else? Cross. Say again? Cross. The cross. Okay, yeah. Very hard to understand that. Hard to explain that. How God has no beginning and no end. How God has no beginning and no end. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. One of my friends on Facebook hopped on and said uh, it's been really hard for her to try and explain to her grandson why this child's mom is not in the picture. Man, there's some hard things to understand, hard things to explain to people. I was trying to think of some this past week, and I was thinking something like the ocean tides, right? Somebody told me once it has something to do with the moon's gravitational pull. Whatever. <laughs> it makes no sense. Same with electricity. To me, I know some of you guys get electricity, right? You understand it. But to me, if the light switch goes on and the light doesn't work, don't know what to do. At all. Wait, wait, wait. I missed that. What? Change. All right, so, so here's the funny thing, okay? I've had a light in my, in my bathroom now that hasn't worked for about two years. And two years ago, I took the bulb out to change it, right? And then I'd switch, flip the switch and everything, and I left the bulb out. So I keep imagining the time I'm going to call the electrician, and I'm going to say, I just can't figure out what's wrong with it. You know, look at it and see there's no bulb. Yeah. Uh, what about the, the time, I mean, similar to teaching your young son puberty, teaching your young son that if you, if you hold a girl's hand, that could lead to the stork bringing a baby. <laughs> he just doesn't get it. Right? 
all sorts of hard things to understand. How do you explain the unexplainable? Right? How do you make sense of things that you just can't fathom? You know, there's always like a why behind that makes us want to continue to explain it. There's always the reason, uh, you know, the, the search for why it matters. I'm not a rocket scientist. Y'all can agree. <laughs> Amen. Someone say that. James is not a rocket scientist. <laughs> Aaron, thank you for being one. I appreciate that. Doesn't make any sense to me at all. I can't explain a lot of things, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not understanding. I'm okay with not having answers. I'm okay with the unknown. I'm okay with mystery. Now, that doesn't mean I won't try and explain things. As you guys were sharing some of the hard things that you try to understand and explain, a lot of them had to do with faith. All right? I'm a paid professional faith explainer. Right? That's what people pay me to do. And when they come to me with questions, they expect me to have answers and Bible verses to back those answers. And every once in a while, I do. But there's other times where it's like, I don't know. As a pastor, on Sundays like today, where I get to stand up and preach about the Trinity, I want to tell you that that is one of the most hardest things for me to understand. One of the hardest things to, to explain. And I've spent thousands of dollars on higher education. I spend uh, you know, money on books, on trainings, and, and in the end, here's what I come down to. I can't explain a lot of things. I'm okay with not knowing. I'm okay with not understanding. I'm okay with mystery. The one thing in the last two weeks, because I've had two weeks to study for this, the one thing in the last two weeks that I have, that's become perfectly clear to me about the Trinity is this. It's confusing. You say that with me? It's confusing. All right. Some of you didn't say it, but that's all right. I'm going to pray for you right now. <laughs> Lord, I do thank you for this time where we can, uh, where we can talk, where we can open up your, your story, open up scripture. Um, I pray that you'd help us understand. Help us understand what you want us to understand and help us be content with the places where we can't. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do you explain the unexplainable? How do you explain the Trinity? How do you understand something that is so confusing? Right before you guys sat down, we got to read a confession, a, a definition, if you will, from our denominational website of what we believe about the Trinity. All right, you read it very confidently and boldly. I'm going to have us read it again. Read it again confidently and boldly, okay? Let's read it together. We believe in one living God. Wait, stop there. Repeat those last three words. One living God. Again, one living God. I'm going to ask a question later. The answer is going to be one, just so you know, okay? All right, let's start from the beginning. We believe in one living God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is but one living and true God, the maker and preserver of all things. And in the unity of this Godhead, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are, these are three, there are, apparently I can't even read either. These three are one in eternity, deity, and purpose, everlasting, of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness. That's good. One living God, but in three persons. That's the Trinity. Clear as mud, right? 
confusing to me. In the Gospel of Matthew, if you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 3, the very first time we see Jesus as an adult, so the first two chapters are talking about him, you know, how his birth, the, the miraculousness of that, and uh, all his younger years. But in Matthew chapter 3, <laughs> excuse me, at the end of it, we get to see Jesus for the first time as an adult. And we see him for the first time as an adult when he gets baptized by a guy named John. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, says this. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Anybody know how far it is from Galilee to the Jordan River? It's about 70 miles. When was the last time any of us walked 70 miles? That's a long time. He must have been pretty determined that this was the right thing to do. Okay? Verse 13 to 15. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done. We must carry out all that God requires. All right, so far so good. A little confusing as to why Jesus would need to be baptized, because John's baptism was the baptism of repentance. And Jesus never sinned, so why would he need to repent of those sins? But that, that's a different sermon. Okay? So, but so far so good. And then we get to verses 16 and 17. And they say this, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Again, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly beloved Son, who brings me great joy. If you grew up in the church, if you grew up in and around the faith, you hear that verse and you don't bat an eye. Right? You don't even blink. You're like, oh yeah, that's the Son. Father's talking to him from heaven, and he's, you know, the, the Spirit descends. No biggie. Right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Seems pretty straightforward. How confusing is that for those who grew up in a church? Not very. But watch this. Remember I told you I was going to ask a question? As Christians, how many gods do we worship? Oh, good. Good. Now, for those watching online that didn't hear our answer, we'll say it a little bit louder. As Christians, how many gods do we worship? One. One. One, and yet somehow in our faith tradition, we bring in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and, we, and they're all God. It's three. But we confessed already a couple times we believe in one living God. How can three be one? Or one by three? Anyone have an easy answer? Okay, I don't see any hands. That's good. I'll keep going. Because if you did, my sermon would be a lot shorter. Maybe there are some other passages, which you heard earlier, that could help uh, illuminate this three-in-one. Bring us some clarity. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. This is Jesus talking. This is at the end of, of the gospel. We know this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, say it with me, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay? There's all three right there. John chapter 15, verse 26. This is Jesus again talking. He says, but I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth, and he will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. Right? I added the Son. That's Jesus talking. There's three. Huh. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 to 5, Elena read it earlier. It says, we always thank God for all of you, and we pray for you constantly. I think there's more. There we go. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work and your loving deeds and, because, and the, the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not with words, not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true, and you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. One more. This is the Apostle Peter talking. 1 Peter 1, verse 2. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Oh, I tell you what, I should have put that last line on repeat over the last two weeks. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Triune God, three persons in one. If you grew up in the faith, maybe you never wrestled with this. Maybe you just took it as, you know, as that's what it is. I grew up in the faith. My parents were missionaries. I literally, I wasn't born in the church, but from like day two or day three, I was there. I would sleep on the front pew during the first like, you know, well, it was several years that I did that. But I was young. All right, so I grew up in the church. For a lot of people, this makes perfectly good sense. But to me, the deeper I dug this last couple of weeks, the less sense it made. How can three be one? Or one be three? I was told yesterday that I'm overthinking this. <laughs> Person might have been right. So, how do we explain this, right? Last week, Connie kicked off this little two-week series on the Trinity. And Connie, I know you're downstairs, uh, so if you're watching later, uh, thank you. What a, what a brutal, hard, like, series to kick off. So she started off talking to some kids, and she gave us some, some good examples. I'm going to refresh our memories on those. So if we were to, to start explaining the Trinity to some younger people, or maybe even newer people to the faith, we might say something like, well, it's kind of like a monk pretzel. Remember Connie said that one? There's three parts to the pretzel, but it's all one pretzel still. We might say something like, well, the Trinity is kind of like an egg. There's a shell, there's a yolk, there's an egg white, but it's still one egg. Make sense? My favorite growing up was this. The Trinity is like pizza. There's dough. There's sauce, and there's pepperoni, also cheese, but the Trinity's three, so I can't say, I can't say cheese, too. Three parts, one pizza. That was my favorite growing up. Now, as, a, as a, one of my hobbies, I like to do triathlon, all right? Tim likes to do it, too. There's a picture of Tim right there. He looks good. Nice job. A triathlon, right? Swim, bike, run. It's one race. One race. But three parts to it. If you take one of the parts away, it's not a triathlon anymore. It's a duathlon. <laughs> the one that's made the most sense to me recently. And then yeah, you've heard these. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard these explanations. It's something like this. Okay, then uh, the next picture. Uh, we're going to put the, the woman in the, in the orange. We're going to call her Nicole. That's not Nicole, but we're going to call her Nicole. 
Okay? Nicole is a mom. You see in the picture. Now, Nicole's also a daughter. You can also see her mom in the picture. And you can't see Nicole's uh, ring finger under there, but Nicole's also a wife. All right? One Nicole, but a mom, a daughter, and a wife. It makes sense to me. It does. Now, I walked around the church this morning trying to wrap my mind around the Trinity, and I think I found an even better example than all of those. All right? Looking from the back street, look at that. That's like one big tree. That's a good-looking tree. But if you look closely, there's three, like, trunks. It's actually three trees in one. One tree, three trees. Make sense-ish? If I'm talking to Gabe or Thea or Etta, all, age, all under the ages of 10, these examples might be good places to start. But for adults, if you've grown up in the church, if you've done deeper digging into any of these, if you've list, like, gone back and looked at any of the heresies that the early church fathers had to, uh, had to battle against, then I know in hearing these definitions, you're squirming just a little bit. I know you might disagree with these analogies. You feel a little bit of unrest. You're thinking, that's partialism, or that's Arianism, or that's modalism. And all those isms are correct, and the early church fathers battled to those. These analogies all do break down. The pizza one. The dough can't claim to be pizza, can it? The sauce can't claim to be pizza, can it? The pepperoni is just plain good. But it can't claim to be pizza. Can it? You have to have all three of those things together. Now listen, the three persons of the Trinity, they're not three parts. They're not three modes. They're not three roles. They're very distinct and unique persons, which each can be called God. Somehow. All right? The Father is God. Say that with me, because well, this is fun this morning. The Father is God. Philippians 1, verse 2 says, May God our Father, okay, Father, God, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. The Father is God. Now, catch this, mind-blowing. The Son is God. Say that with me. The Son is God. This is Titus chapter 2, verse 13. While we look forward with hope that, that the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ... Jesus Christ, God and Savior, will be revealed. Okay, so Jesus is God. The Father is God. Jesus is God. And the Spirit is God. Say it with me. The Spirit is God. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 to 4. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. <coughs> The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. Remember, he said you lied to the Holy Spirit. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. Three that are somehow one. Confused yet? I hope not. I am. I was, and I will be after this morning. I'm just making sure that's clear. I dug for language that would make sense on this. In these last couple of weeks, you know, language that would make sense because on, on a Sunday morning, I stand up here and I'm preaching anywhere from a fifth grader to a 101-year-old. So a lot of different levels of understanding. Pastor Michael, you've stood in the pulpit countless times. Pastor Ron, same thing. It's hard to be able to communicate to that wide range of ages. 
So I was looking for language that could make sense of all of this. 2,000 years worth of history of people trying to make sense of all of this. The traditional language that is used is essence and persons. Essence and persons, all right? God, as in the triune God, is divine essence. There is one essence. Another word for this could be being. Thus, somebody writes within the last 2,000 years, thus, since God is only one essence, he is one being, not three. I love they say this. This should make it clear. <laughs> this should make it clear why it is so important that all three persons are of the same essence. All three are God, right? Which we saw in these previous verses. One essence. And yet somehow three persons is the traditional language. Three persons, which you got to see in Matthew 28, John 15, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 Peter 1. In an article trying to explain the doctrine of the Trinity, somebody else said it like this while they're talking about persons. The fact that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit are distinct persons means, in other words, that the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Jesus is God, but he's not the Father of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, but he's not the Son or the Father. The Father is God, but he's not the Son or the Spirit. That's a great picture. I could have just said, praise be to God. Amen. Right? Three distinct persons. Somehow three persons, yet one divine being. Does this make sense? If we're, oh, it does for you. Thank you. I have a coffee with you guys after. You can explain it to me. All right? I'm looking forward to that. 2,000 years of people who are trying to explain this. And some get it. Right? But others, it's confusing. Here's what's become clear to me, okay? In Scripture, it is clear that there is one God. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the Shema. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 21 and 22. For there is no other God but me, God says, right? A righteous God and Savior. There's none but me. Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God and there is no other. When Jesus was asked what the most important commandment was, he didn't just go right into love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is the most important command, right? But what did he start off with? He said in Mark chapter 12, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's the only Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's clear in here that there is one God. But somehow, it's also clear that there are three persons to it. I mean, that's our home text for today. Jesus gets baptized. After his baptism, he comes up out of the water. The heavens were opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Two very clear things. There's one God, but there's three persons, parts of that one God. Baffles me. And I'm okay with that. I really am. Connie 
two weeks ago was telling me that she was on like her seventh iteration of the message, meaning she rewrote it seven times and I thought, oh, why would you do that? And on my seventh time of starting, stopping, scratching, rewriting, I went and begged for forgiveness. All these different times, trying to figure out how to explain this, ultimately I landed on why? Why does this matter? Why should we wrestle with it? Why should we try and make sense of it? Again, 2,000 years worth of people who gave us really good reasons as to why we should try and understand it. And you can go back and do your own research on why. I'll tell you three reasons. All right, and the first is this. Looking at the Trinity reminds us that Jesus is divine. All right, Jesus is God. This is important. In the, the first 300 years of the history of our faith, there was a lot of different heresies that said Jesus wasn't God. Uh, he, was, he was human. Um, you know, he was, he was uh, like a figment of our imagination. All, all these different things. So the early church fathers were very clear to, to battle those, uh, to, to, to counter those arguments and wanted to make sure that people knew Jesus was divine. This matters because if he wasn't, then a, a human, which he was fully, confusing right there. Go back to the first question, right? It matters because then God secures our salvation. It's not something we do, but it's something God has done for us, all right? So deity of Jesus, that's why it's important to kind of wrestle with this. Second thing is this, and this, I, I like this one. It reminds us of what we know and what we don't know. And I think sometimes we need to know that. I'll confess that as Christians, I'll confess myself, as, as a Christian who's been following Jesus for close to four decades, sometimes I think I know a lot. This has been a good week to remind me I don't. Okay? It's a good week to remind us, like Isaiah 55 says, that God's ways, God's understandings are way higher than ours. All right? The minute we start thinking we have God figured out, we've created a God in our own image. And we need to go back and take a second thought of that. I love that I can study the Trinity and not fully understand it. All right? Third reason why we should look deeper into the Trinity is this. It helps our prayer life. It's a big part of our prayer life. All right? The general pattern of scripture, of prayer in scripture is Trinitarian. We pray to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. That's our, our general pattern. Paul was writing the church in Ephesus and he laid this out really well. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Trinitarian praying can be amazing. It can be eye-opening. We, we can pray to the Father and be praying to God. We can pray to the Son and be praying to God. We can pray to the Spirit and be praying to God. We can pray to the Father through the Son and the Spirit and be praying to God. How many of you, you don't even have to raise your hand, do you make a regular practice of praying Trinitarian line? I know that for the catechumenate recently, that was the challenge the last couple of weeks, was to end all of our prayers with, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I didn't grow up in a faith tradition. I grew up in the church, okay? I didn't grow up in a faith tradition where we prayed Trinitarian line. So the past couple of weeks have been challenging. But it's been eye-opening to me. It's been good. So those are just three out of countless reasons why we should dig a little bit deeper into the Trinity. All right, The deity of Jesus, the fact that it reminds us that we don't know it all, and it really helps in our prayer life. So how do you explain the unexplainable? Well, you try. You try again, and then you just smile and say, God, <laughs> you got this.
I don't, and I'm okay with that. Sometimes it's okay to not know. We started this service with having the Spots family pray the first half of a Trinitarian prayer. We actually prayed this in January of this last year, and I've, I've shared it with you quite a few times before. Uh, author and theologian John Stott wrote this prayer, and it's been one that I try and implement uh, and incorporate on a regular basis into my own prayer life. So they, uh, they call us to worship by uh, worshiping the Father, worshiping the Son, worshiping the Holy Spirit. They're going to wrap our time up with a specific Trinitarian prayer where we are asking something of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And much like what we did at the beginning, they're going to pray it first, and then we're going to pray the same thing with them, okay? Before they do that, I need you guys to know this. I don't take the Trinity lightly, okay? I don't, I don't uh, I'm in no way trying to be dismissive of this doctrine of the church uh, by saying that I don't know. Um, for those of you who feel very comfortable that you know and you understand this, I'm happy for you. I really am. And for those who are just as confused as me, I'm happy for you guys as well, all right? We're on this journey of faith together. And what we should do is be kind, gracious, and loving. That's what Jesus told us we should do. Kind, gracious, and loving as we journey together. So because the Spots family had us all stand, well, I had us stand last time, but I'm going to have them stand. We're going to stand as well, okay? So go ahead, everybody. 